Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, seek to understand. It's one of Stephen Covey's seven steps of highly effective people. It's also a solid life principle for anybody looking to make a positive impact in the world. It's what we try to do every episode of this show. When it comes to Alberta's new trans policies, it's safe to say nobody will be more affected by them than trans youth. And so in this episode, we talk to a trans journalist born and raised in Red Deer, Alberta. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here. John Hicks riding shotgun this morning. Johnny morning. Infamous. Yeah. We've got a good show in store. In just a second, we're going to check in with Mel Woods, uh, senior editor of audience engagement for Extra Magazine, which is Canada's largest LGBTQ2S plus publication. Mel uh, grew up in Alberta. Uh, they've made their career in media, telling stories, understanding what resonates with people and obviously have walked miles and miles in the boots along those journeys that we're talking about. The top political story probably in Canada right now, certainly in Alberta right now, the new policies announced by Alberta Premier Danielle Smith a number of days ago relating to trans kids, relating to every student under the age of 18 that would be participating in sex ed, even relating to trans women participating in sport. Mel reached out uh, via social media to everybody about a week ago. And I want to talk to them about why they did that. They saw a deficit uh, in the quality and the depth and the accuracy of the reporting on this story. And we figured that it was time that we welcome Mel to the show. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Plus developments in that story of five former National Hockey League players. At least their careers are on pause right now. They're certainly former Team Canada hockey players, uh, competitors in the 2018 World Junior Hockey Championships. Their lawyers appearing uh, in court yesterday and some interesting developments with the National Hockey League on that front as well. We'll bring you those details. We're grateful to have you here with us. Plus, we're going to get into our mailbag today. We tell We told you that the engagement with this show has been off the chart over the past month or so. We mm -hmm. tweeted about it yesterday. The YouTube numbers are are there, and, and, and our, our inbox yeah. is bursting. And so we figured we're going to maybe leave some time, uh, as much time as we can, sure. every episode over the next five or so to make sure we get to some of those emails. And big congrats to you. Uh, 13,000 subscribers now on YouTube, so keep hitting uh, that subscribe and there keep you telling go. your friends. Yeah. I think we gotta, we'll give away something cool when we hit 15,000. That yeah. feels like the right thing yeah. to do. You and I put our heads together. We'll come sure. up with something cool uh so if you don't yet i mean if you're watching this live streaming on youtube or you're watching it later and you don't yet subscribe go ahead and click it it's the best way to be notified every time that we're going live or every time there's new content from the real talk channel homepage. that could be highlights shorts or whatever else you know, this episode of Real Talk doesn't happen without the support of Danatech, and we've got a pretty quick message, a brief message, but a direct one to those of you that are in charge of safety training with your business. If you're looking to get your team the industry's best safety training, Danatech, well, look no further. They've been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades. Their course is designed by experts with real on-the-job experience. So those courses are actually going to make a difference on your job site. You're going to save lost time to injuries. You'll stay compliant with changing regulations. That is a thing. You know it. Plus, save money on training 
with Danatech. Big companies across the country use Danatech's WIMIS, TDG, electrical and lifting device courses for good reason. Now, they've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across all industries. If you want to find out more about bulk discounts and get your team started on training the best bang for the buck in the business, visit danatech.com today. Mel Woods is the senior editor of audience engagement at Extra Magazine. That is Canada's largest LGBTQ2S plus publication. Prior to joining Extra, Mel was an associate editor for Huffington Post Canada. They grew up in Red Deer, spent some time in Calgary, and now call Vancouver home. And that's where they're joining us from this morning. Hey, Mel, thanks for waking up early. Whenever we have West Coast guests, we like to thank them for making that, that extra effort to be on the show. Welcome to Real Talk. Oh, it's a good reason to be up. So I'm I'm happy to be here. So you grew up in Alberta? Yeah, yeah. I grew up just outside of Red Deer, actually, in, in Springbrook. Um, and uh went to you know school for my whole childhood, high school, graduated high school in, in Red Deer in 2013. Went to Calgary for four years and did my undergrad and came out to Vancouver for grad school and didn't leave. But I, I always say that um you know, I still have the, a deep, 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 deep love and care for for Alberta and and the people of Alberta. So you um, you, uh, you you grew up in the city of Red Deer, right? You you moved to Calgary. What what year would you have left the province? What year did you move to BC? I moved to Vancouver in 2017, uh, September 2017. But I've been back and forth um, to visit friends and family frequently. Okay, uh, so then. whenever I'm going to talk politics with somebody, uh, I always like to know what era were they living here? What premier did they leave under? And that sort of yeah. Thing. I mean, so- I was I was a university student when Notley was elected. So that was obviously a very kind of pivotal moment in my political consciousness um, mm. of, of growing up under conservative governments and then watching the NDP orange wave um, when I was in, I guess that would have been my third year of university. So did yeah. you consider yourself to be politically interested or even politically savvy as a young person? Like, did you, did you pay attention to politics in high school? Yeah, I did. I very memorably uh, in my middle school fake election that we did um i was the class ndp leader uh, oh really and overwhelmingly because of course all of my all my friends and classmates voted how their parents voted which in red deer in you know 2006 was conservative so uh i i've always followed politics and been quite involved in them and and uh you know i ran my student newspaper when i was in undergrad and so we kept tabs particularly on the ministry of advanced education during that time uh, and then during my work at HuffPost, I was the uh, only editor based out here. The rest of our staff were out in Toronto or Montreal. And so I kind of was charged with keeping tabs on on Alberta and BC uh, as we went through so many interesting eras in that time and into the early pandemic and whatnot. Yeah. So, you, so you're the you're the class NDP leader in high school. All your friends are are, are representing or, or voting in this exercise, how their parents voted or how they understood them to vote. Was that the same story with you uh, as far as you're comfortable talking about? Did you grow up in an NDP household or a conservative or other? Uh, I grew up in kind of an, an, an other. My my mom was a transport from BC and and was largely a anybody but conservative voter. Um, and my my stepdad, when they met, was a conservative voter, and I think she converted him. But they used to say uh, when I was quite younger, she was like, "Well, there's no point in us voting this way because we're just going to cancel each other out." Um, so I'd say fairly an, an anything but conservative household for a lot of my childhood, but. But it depends for sure. Did you continue or have you continued to follow Alberta politics after moving to B.C. and and establishing roots there? Oh, definitely. Um, Because not that B.C. politics aren't exciting. Obviously, we've had a very interesting this week um, with a cabinet minister resigning and whatnot. But 
you know, there's something about Alberta politics that are so messy <laughs> and so interesting to follow. So again, while I've I followed them professionally for when I was working for HuffPost, you know, I watched every Dina Henshaw presser during the early pandemic, um, every single day. Um, but and I've been very, very, very in, in closely watching Smith uh, rise. Now, in the context of the work I do at Extra, you know, we cover LGBTQ plus issues, and that is something that Alberta politicians love to either talk about or talk how much they're not talking about. Uh, and uh, and so I'm, I've been following quite closely. Um, you know, we're grateful that you've made yourself available here to talk about what's happening in Alberta politics right now and, and stack it up against policy in the rest of the country, including Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. You did, you did touch on uh, Selena Robinson's resignation. I don't know how much you want to get into this. We haven't yet touched on it on the show. I think most, I mean, this is a pretty engaged audience. Most people will know that that uh, Minister Robinson or former Minister Robinson, uh, Robertson, Robinson was a, a post-secondary minister uh, under Premier David Eby, of course, and, and uh, in speech. Speaking on a Zoom call to B'nai B'rith, uh, the Jewish organization, uh, she infamously referred uh, basically to, to modern Israel as being founded on a, quote, crappy piece of land uh, where nothing was happening, suggesting there was no agriculture, no industry there. Obviously, huge outcry over the comments for quite some time. Premier Eby said she doesn't need to resign. She's got some work to do, but she doesn't need to resign. Of course, she has uh, stepped down uh, in the most recent development. What's your take on that story? I mean, I was surprised it took so long for her to step down. I think that the writing was on the wall as soon as the public outcry started after those comments were made. Uh, I'm surprised that EB dragged it out as long as it did because it looks worse when you drag those kinds of things out. Uh, so I'm very curious to see if there's further calls for her removal from caucus. Um, I know that that's not good enough for some people, uh, the, the cabinet stepping down. I personally am mostly kind of sitting with my popcorn and waiting to see uh, what's going to what's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. So let's get let's bring it back to, to what we're talking about here. And that is, of course, uh, Premier Smith's policy announcement and, and, and the ripple effect, which has been significant. Um, some interesting polling on it. We've had a lot of different conversations and perspectives represented on this show. What I'm most interested is uh, in is your personal perspective and how it first landed with you. Do, do, do you want to start with Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick and and what you thought when that policy first came out? He was the first. Um, and, and he kept it limited to education. He basically said, you know, if, if a student under a certain age, under the age of 16, wants to change their pronouns or their name in school, we're going to notify the parents and left it at that. Nothing on sports. There was nothing on sex ed. Uh, but but obviously it caught the nation's attention. How about you? You know, it's something that's so interesting because in, in the queer press and in, in, in folks working in LGBTQ2 plus media, you know, we've watched this growing eldritch horror that is the anti-trans bills in the U.S. for several years now, you know, date back to the bathroom bills in 2016, for example. And so I think it was a sense of dread is 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 what I personally met the New Brunswick announcement. It wasn't even necessarily a new policy. It was a rolling back of an inclusive policy in New Brunswick. So, you know, in Saskatchewan, they introduced new policies, new legislation around this. In New Brunswick, it was more the premier kind of discovered this thing in an existing policy and said, no, 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 I want it this way and and, and, went and worked to change that. And I think that back in May, you know, our political columnist, Dale Smith at, at Extra wrote a column kind of saying like, watch out, this is going to be the tip of the iceberg of these sorts of things, because it, it shows these types of bills, types of policies starting to find a foothold in Canada. And so I think the New Brunswick one was met with kind of this dread and kind of a we need to be talking about this. We need to be calling it what it is, naming it for what it is. 
um, before it, it catches fire and spreads to to other provinces and escalates because that's how those U.S. bills happen. You know, at first it's just bathrooms and now suddenly we're banning trans adults from accessing gender affirming care. Like that's that's the spectrum we're working on here. And so New Brunswick represented the start of that that snowball. And we see now these kinds of policies or approaches literally are snowballing. You know, Saskatchewan picked up a few more things and roped it into what they were putting forward. And now in Alberta, we have this kind of massive ball of kind of dangerous policies that attack so many different areas of, of basic life for trans people, for, for kids, just in general in the province. Uh, and it is all spurred from something like that New Brunswick policy. And so I think we knew that. The thing is, we knew that back in May. And we just kind of were helpless to watch it keep on going. Yeah, interesting. I mean, Saskatchewan kind of raised the bar, right? When when um, Premier Mo talked about invoking the notwithstanding clause, which which of course got people's attention, and and then the the suspicion was when we we knew that something was coming uh, here in Alberta that would it would go even further. What what was your gut telling you as as you saw that and heard rumblings that the premier in Alberta was set to make a policy announcement? Yeah, you know, back on, on on her radio show the week before on the on the Saturday call-in show when she said that a, a parental rights policy was coming, you know, I don't know if I even expected the extent to what it is. Um, I think that there was kind of that dread because she'd kind of yo-yoed back and forth on these things and has always been saying that she doesn't want to play political football with kids' lives and, and these trans issues, and she brings up her non-binary family member all the time. Uh, but... We also had her caucus, her party back in November, loudly calling for this kind of policy, loudly calling for policies that, you know, would ban trans women from women's prisons, things like that. And it's like, OK, so there is sentiment within that sort of grassroots further right base. And I think that it was inevitable that she would feel that pressure to do something. Again, I, the extent of it, the amount that it's based on frankly, just like misinformation around healthcare is incredibly scary and dangerous, um, that that was deemed acceptable to put out there based on what it is. Uh, and and it's, I'm very, I mean, obviously concerned about it and concerned about what sorts of other legislation it's going to spur and what that next role of the snowball is going to be. Yeah, I see a lot of people wondering if the, if this is going to, uh, I don't know if you knew this, maybe you did, but an interesting poll, people are reporting getting, you know, these sort of robocall polls over the past number of days asking how they feel, whether or not parents should be notified uh, if, if a young person, if, if somebody under 18 or under 16 is uh, seeking an abortion and uh, everybody's going, hang on a second, whoa, 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 like, you know, where are we on this? That has nothing to do with that or does it have everything to do with that? And so people, I mean, people's spidey senses are tingling uh, to be sure. Uh, I want, I want wanted to ask you this and it's always weird for me when i read somebody's tweet back to themselves but for the for, for the benefit of our audience uh you and i have never met this is the first time that we're speaking um but but i saw this on uh, twitter when you put it out you said i desperately hope this is a tweet you put out on february 1st i desperately hope that well-meaning cis journalists take the lead from and listen to trans people in the coming weeks covering alberta there are so few of us openly trans journalists working in canada and it's frustrating to watch people get it wrong or stumble through. Uh, you write, this is deeply personal to me. I grew up in Alberta. I spent 22 years of my life there. And that doesn't mean I'm any less suited to cover this story because I'm trans. But it does mean that I'm intimately familiar with what's at stake here and how important it is that we get it right. You say, and it's going to be an exhaust. It's going to be exhausting watching panels full of cis people so often beaming in from Toronto or wherever uh, to try to talk about what's best for trans Albertans. And that's the case. You say, no matter how well-meaning you are, 
Let's talk about unflinchingly pulling no punches. Talk about media coverage of this story and media coverage, bigger picture, big, bigger picture of, of, of issues impacting uh, trans Canadians and, and members of the LGBTQ2S plus community. Yeah, you know, it's something I was tweeting about that because, you know, I, I you hope to get ahead of the curve on these things and you hope to kind of say, uh, and, and and for me, but somewhat selfishly, it's also me saying, you know, I will come on your show. I will come here and talk, you know, as a, not just a token trans person, but as somebody who covers these things as my job and also happens to be trans. And, and I think that I've actually been weirdly impressed for the most part this week. You know, I think that especially you look at what was happening yesterday with the pressers and the kind of media tour that Smith was doing around this, there was challenging her on the misinformation that some of these bills are guided in. And the whole point of legislation like this and the whole point of policies like this being introduced in the way that Smith introduced them, you know, this very like faux concern, twangy guitar music, heartwarming stock photos type thing is meant to kind of create concern where there isn't concern. She's just creating these things that people should be worried about when they really shouldn't be worried about them. You know, this this mass epidemic of kids getting surgeries and sterilizing themselves. That's not what's actually happening. You know, you look at the stats alone for like top surgery, which I mean, top surgery is one of the most like harmless things possible. They say in 2023 in Alberta, only 22 people under the age of 18 had top surgery and they can't even differentiate what top surgery means. You know, lots of people have surgery on their chests for, you know, breast reductions, for breast enhancement. There's there's lots of reasons and the government can't even keep track of that to point to it being a problem. Uh, you know, you look at puberty blockers as this thing that she's saying, oh, we can't be giving kids puberty blockers before they're 15. The whole point of puberty blockers is that you give them to kids before they're 15 so you can buy more time and let kids make decisions. It's not about forcing kids into an irreversible decision. It's about buying time and creating more decisions. But the way that this policy is being presented, the messaging coming from Smith, and I would say and her government, but it's all coming just from Smith. We, we can't just take that at face value. We have to challenge that. We have to challenge these kind of assertions that she's making, these, these baseless facts too. You know, yesterday she brought up a reference to um, a video of a of a supposed trans woman rugby player flattening a, a harmless girl on the pitch. And that's why we need to enforce tra you know, trans women in sports. That video is a piece of misinformation that has circulated online like weeks ago and was proven to feature a cis woman in it, not a trans woman. Like, these are grounded on misinformation, on false information. And, you know, I know that a lot of trans people know that a lot of folks who've lived this and had to kind of justify our own existences for so long, know these things, know them inherently also from just like living them. And so I think that there is often well-meaning cis folks like to go into these kinds of conversations and, and, and hear out, you know, quote unquote, both sides. And, and I and I get that, and you know, I believe in honest, fair, you know, equitable reporting. But there's also a very important step in as a journalist in challenging this misinformation and calling it out for what it is, and not giving it the kind of platform and way it deserves. You know, we always use in in workshops that I do on on responsible queer and trans reporting. You know, I often use the climate change example. You know, where we we don't in, do a story about climate change and interview a climate denialist in a story about hmm. climate change. You know, this is not a, a, an issue with two sides and. And an issue like this, it's it's important, I think, to again call it the misinformation for what it is, and hear from the from the communities impacted, and also recognize that like this is not a like political football. This is not an issue with, you know, 
it is an issue of policy, but it's also an issue of lives. And I think the the stakes involved there, you know, we're talking about kids' lives here. Um, I, having been, you know, I, I didn't come out as trans until I was in my mid-20s, but knowing many people younger than me who did, I, it scares me seeing legislation like this and, and policies like this, again, be presented as helping kids when they're going to really, really hurt kids. So that's all I'll say is I was tweeting that and you know, obviously most of frustration, you look at the timestamp on that and it came at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning after after watching that when that video on Wednesday night. Uh, and it was just kind of a warning to to the media community to to stop and, and take stock and, and listen to folks who've covered these these stories in the U.S., who've covered them elsewhere in Canada and who are really familiar with those kinds of tropes and misinformation that get trotted out about this and are ready to challenge it and are ready to call it out for what it is and and are ready to not just take what Smith is saying here at face value because unfortunately we're fighting against a giant misinformation machine you know there's so so many people who will will watch that video who don't have that you know background information all the the medical evidence that shows the puberty blockers are are very perfectly safe and well peer reviewed in, in the medical community you know, and we, we're fighting up an uphill battle to try and get that proper information out when somebody like the premier can just make a, a soft spoken twangy guitar video and, and, and spout it out to people. So, so that's where that tweet came from. It came from a moment of frustration, but also, again, a recognition that there's, you know, much as the other issues of equity within journalism in Canada, you know, there's not great representation of people in color in, in general there's also not a great representation of trans folks in journalism and i'm conscious of that based on how many young people i get into my dms asking me for advice because i'm one of the only ones who's hmm. out and visible and and i i wear that burden and understand that in a, in a moment like this it is my job to be visible to talk to call out these things and to to do good reporting uh, along the way Got a very uh, interesting question. I, I I honestly love questions like this. Uh, they make me nervous on the fly. You know, we do this live <laughs> streaming and then we just podcast it out. And so you better sound smart the first time. Uh, but there's a very intelligent person who I respect very much. Uh, Jeremy Farkas, a former city councilor out of Calgary. Um, and, and Jeremy's taken a stand publicly and, and talked about his, his own history um, and his own understanding of, of his uh, sexuality and gender. And, and uh, I appreciate him in this chat throwing this. And he says, well, who gets to decide? if an issue only has one sides one side or two sides and that's a very simple but very complicated question isn't it or maybe it's not complicated as all at all but i love that he threw it in there because even as you're talking and you're and and, and people say uh and, and mel i feel i don't know i feel like this is i feel like we're, we're fast friends um you know mm -hmm. so let, let me just say when you say both sides um, you know, I hear some people kind of like when they say both sides now, they like spit it out of their mouth. Like, oh, Jesperson has one of those both sides talk shows. Uh, and we don't do <laughs> we don't we don't do both sides on 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 like slavery. Uh, right. We don't do both sides on on child sexual abuse. But when it comes to issues like, you know, should a parent be notified about something when a kid's under 16? To be honest, part of me goes. I mean, I get it. Like, part of me kind of goes, I understand why parents are like, excuse me, I love my child very much, and I would like to be made privy to this information. And then I also get when people say, well, if you're doing a good job parenting, your kid will tell you anyway, and you shouldn't have to worry about it. But that's not legislation. That, 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 mm -hmm. that, that, that's not in paper. That's not in black and white. So in this, in this issue, I do think that it's important to hear from different perspectives on the issue. But what I think is 
most important is to hear the perspectives of people that say this is a matter of life and death for us. There's evidence that proves, you know, for example, queer youth and in particular trans youth have a, a, a grossly disproportionate higher rate of suicide, of suicide attempts, of, of uh, young people experiencing homelessness. Just ask anybody that works in that space. I know I don't have to tell you this. And so maybe we can agree that there are uh, priorities uh, when it comes to perspectives that need to be heard. Uh, but I don't think that the both sides idea is inherently negative. Uh, feel free to disagree with me. No, I think, I, I think, you know, to, to, to clarify, you know, I don't think that the, not to like this more of a convoluted uh, rhetorical loophole, but I don't think that both sides are one sides is a both sides issue. You know, what I'm, what I'm talking about is the balance of what's being talked about and who's being challenged and who's being, you know, questioned in their validity to speak on an issue. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will come and say, like, I, I've I've experienced before, and I think a lot of other kind of transmedia figures have been experienced being kind of told you're too close to an issue to report on it, to talk about it. It's too personal. You have too many stakes in it. And and that's what I've been pushing about, back against more so is this idea that that we aren't qualified to to give thoughtful analysis on this and that we're we're too emotionally attached to it but you know we're emotionally attached to it because it's a, it's a real issue and and to the issue of you know i'm i we we don't have enough time to go into the whole deep you know debate of like parental rights specifically with the pronoun notifications and things like that but i encourage folks who who are really kind of hyper fixated on that to to also think about the rights of affirming parents um in legislation like this you know the rights of kid you know parents to give their kids uh, an affirming education. You think about these sex ed policies that Smith has put forward here that will require opting into every lesson about, you know, gender, sexuality, identity, that sort of stuff. This is going to mean that teachers just aren't going to do those lessons because opting into them and doing the, the bureaucracy of that is going to mean that less lessons on that is being taught. And that does that infringe upon the rights of affirming parents to have their kids learn, you know, inclusive sexuality. And those those kinds of things I think are are when I encourage folks to kind of consider with these things uh, and also the rights of kids <laughs> like we're, we're we're talking here about the rights of parents to know things and this is what happened in Saskatchewan you know the reason why these legislative challenges were brought forward against Scott Moe's legislation was pointing out that you know there's certain protections for kids under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms so uh, yes I, I I get I know that both sides is such a hot topic uh, phrase to bring up but I, I, I mostly mean it just in the context of not taking you know, and I think that every you know good political watcher knows this is to not just take what a politician is saying at face value. Um, but in the case of this, we have like documented evidence of how this process happens in the states. You know, we, we get these. There's so many people in Alberta who had no concern at all about kids getting bottom surgery until Wednesday, and Smith has created that concern, frankly. Uh, and that's what worries me about it. And so we can't just take what Smith is saying as to be like, oh, that's a, a thoughtful, interesting perspective on this. It's like, no, it's grounded in misinformation, disinformation, and no scientific evidence. And we have to say that. So like that's that's our job as as media people to to call that out, to point to the science, to to say that this is grounded in politics, not science. Uh, no matter how much she keeps on saying that, even yesterday she was saying that over and over again, and it's while spouting out more misinformation. So that's that's more what I mean, I think.
Joining us, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking to Mel Woods, editor of Extra Magazine. Um, I want to recommend, uh, if, if folks are, are looking for more facts on this, like I, I would say there, Whiskey here in our live chat said, you know, this is more a conversation. You know, it's facts versus feelings, and the facts are on Danielle Smith's side. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm quite certain that that's not accurate. And I, and I would like to recommend uh, you check out our February 2nd Real Talk Roundtable. If you're looking through our podcast or YouTube archives, you're looking for the episode titled Fact Check, The Truth About Alberta's Trans Policies, where we talked to Dr. Kate Greenaway, who's been practicing uh, gender-affirming care, a family physician for more than 20 years, uh, the president of the Alberta Teachers Association, Jason Schilling, and Hannah Hodson, who joined us. Uh, Hannah is a former staffer for Erin O'Toole, federal conservative leader. Uh, she's the first openly trans candidate. She uh, ran in 2021 in Victoria, uh, the first openly trans candidate in the Conservative Party of Canada's history. And uh, it was certainly an enlightening conversation. I like that Jeremy, by the way, followed up on this, on his comment. And uh, I wanted to get to that as well. Uh, he, he simply said, uh, after you were answering, Mel, um, Jeremy said, uh, you know, I, I believe what Mel is suggesting is that people jump to a false equivalency between both sides. It's perhaps a lazy cop out for people who don't want to dive into the empirical evidence of both sides, which I think is a, is a good observation. Um, I wanted to get to some other comments here as well. Ken has a good one, says, I have no issue with increasing medical scrutiny on treating gender dysphoria, including health authority panels, but bans are not that. They are bans with no regard for medical consensus, uh, which I think is a, is a fair observation from Ken. Um, Mel, when we come back, I, I'd love to talk to you about, like, if you're willing to get personal and just and talk about your journey growing up and what it's like in high school, you say you didn't come out as trans until your 20s, um, but but I think it's important to to help you know the average Canadian, the average Albertan understand the perspective of a young person in high school that's unsure of what's up, that feels that knows that they're feeling a little bit differently than maybe the two friends they're talking to at recess or whatever the case may be. I want to get into the sex ed stuff with you, and if you're if you'd like, uh, we're working on a roundtable coming up on trans women in sports. But you did write about it, so I'd love to get your take on that. Uh, we're talking to Mel Woods, uh, senior editor of audience engagement for Extra Magazine. Uh, by the way, you can read their work at extramagazine.com. That's just with the X, extramagazine.com. Mel on February first, publishing a piece on uh, what they call the cruelty and calm of Alberta's attack on trans rights. This conversation happens with the support of Real Talk partners like our friends at Eden Landscaping that want to remind you that they're going to be putting shovels in the ground this spring. And if you want to have your landscaping project kick off as early as possible, that means you're going to want to talk to them right now so they can get that design work going. More yards than ever before. The plans are going to need to change. We're taking a look at weather patterns. We're looking at what's happening with climate change. That means that plant varieties, water capture, hard surfaces, people are adjusting their plans as they want to make sure that those designs uh, reflect function over the next number of years, decades to come. You're making an investment in your outdoor space. Why not make it a smart one? You're going to make your best investment with Eden Landscaping. You can start the conversation today with a free consultation. Get started at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to let you know about a couple of new things going on there. You can check out their website anytime at granddog.ca. They've got a new raw pet food blend that's going to help support your dog's immune system. It's Grand Dog's Salmon Raw Pet Food Blend. No diet complete without omega-3, essential in both a dog and cat's diet to help manage inflammation and support their immune system. All dogs and cats are going to love this blend in their meal rotation, particularly great for dogs that have intolerances to other protein options. And then it's got this fine texture that's a real hit for the smaller dogs and cats in your family. You can check out feeding recommendations by visiting the product page at granddog.ca. They'll deliver to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. Don't forget the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order. Friesen Brothers, how exciting. We've seen that sign go up at the traffic circle. A local reference for those of you in Edmonton, 142nd Street, 107th Avenue, that traffic circle. Everybody was wondering, what was that big construction project? And Johnny and I weren't allowed to say, but now we can announce it from the rooftops, Johnny. It's Friesen Brothers. Yes. They've got the sign up. They're targeting a, a, a spring opening. We'll tell you the exact date as soon as we can. But in the meantime, at their South Edmonton location, want to let you know February 10th and 11th, they got a vegan feast going on from 4 to 8 p.m. An all-you-can-eat vegan buffet, including vegan lasagna, the vegan shepherd's pie, full salad bar for just $20 a person. Unbelievable deal at the Friesen Brothers Rabbit Hill store in South Edmonton. You can find more details at Friesen.com slash vegan. And if you're looking to get your life on track from an organizational standpoint, you need to declutter your space and you need to do it now. Today's the perfect day to visit CaliforniaClosets.ca It all starts with a free design consultation. That's where their team of experts can give you ideas you may have never thought about What about a Murphy bed in your home office to turn it into a guest room? What about getting that ironing board out of the way in the laundry room so it's simple to use but not always in your way? What about an entertainment center or a cabinet? How about a reinvention of your garage? They do it all better than anybody else. Get the conversation started at californiaclosets.ca. Mel Woods joining us, senior editor of Extra Magazine, and you can check out their work at extramagazine.com. Mel, there is a lot of talk about the pronouns and parental rights, and I know you said we don't have time to really get into the debate. I mean, the fact is we have as much time as we want to take. We have as much time as you have available. What's not being represented in that conversation? Like, can you shine some light uh, as best you can for us to help the average audience member understand what the journey is like Uh, for a young person who thinks they are or knows they are trans navigating a public or private school system. Yeah, you know, it it depends on where you are too, right? Like I will admit I haven't been in the Alberta school system since 2013, but, you know, back when I even, and that feels somewhat recent, and even then, you know, there weren't any openly trans students at my school, but I can say at least half a dozen of us who've come out since we were in school and and that's an interesting thing to say right and i think that we're one of the benefits of the progress made on on queer and trans rights in the last decade is that more and more young people are having access to the the things that that help them connect to who they are i know it's really cheesy i feel like sometimes when we talk about trans kids we get really after school special about it you know where it's like born in the wrong body and living your truth and for some kids that's that's really realistic but for some kids it's also just as simple as seeing 
someone in media, maybe, you know, seeing a, a figure on TV, a, a character even, or another friend or, or somebody they follow online and saying, hey, that connects to me, that that feels like me. Uh, and, and sometimes you're really fortunate to be in a space where you have the words for that. And then maybe you have inclusive, that's where inclusive sex ed, inclusive education around gender and identity comes from. It's not about trying to like indoctrinate kids and turn them trans. It's about giving them the language to define feelings that they do have and will figure out at some point, but giving them the, the, those terms and those spaces earlier on. And, you know, you talk about GSAs, QSAs um, as, as similar spaces like that, where kids can be exposed to different you know, kind of possibilities, you know, for for to be as like simple as it, you know, in a world where we don't have those things, where we don't have media with trans representation in it, you know, there's going to be kids who feel this way or feel certain senses about how they want to live, how they want to be, and aren't going to have any words for it and aren't going to know that that's a thing that they can be, right? And so for me, at least, so when I think back on, you know, my own personal journey, my truth, whatever you want to call it, uh, for me, it was so much of saying like, oh, I can actually live like this, like I don't have to live like this. I can, you know, make my body into something that feels comfortable and good and like home to me. And and again, that gets you you veer into cheesy territory. But I think it is important to say that that's what these surgeries are about. That's what this medical care is about. It's about, you know, creating you're letting this like flesh vessel that we all have to live in feel like home and feel like comfort. And and to go back to schools and education, you know, and inclusive policies. That, that, that can be a process. You know, a kid doesn't wake up one morning and say, time to get all the surgeries and go on hormones and become a man. No, it's a process. You learn things, you figure out what you want to be. And there's also a broad spectrum of what gender is. There isn't a, a script on how to be trans. There isn't a script on how to transition. But the more education that we have for kids, the more opportunities for inclusive, safe spaces we have for kids to, to not, I, I hate using the word like play around because I think that trivializes or um, this, but to a certain extent, it is that it's it's trying on different hats. It's trying on different hats of who we want to be the same way that we do in so many other aspects of our lives. You know, I, when I was in high school, had so many people say like, oh, you're smart and in the humanities, you should be a lawyer. Uh, and then I got to university and was like, oh, I'd be a horrible lawyer, <laughs> like so, so much paperwork. Uh, but I, you know, learned what journalism is and was like, that's actually what I want to do. Um, you know, again, this isn't exactly equivalent because this is much higher stakes than than something like that. But it's the same sort of thing. If I didn't know journalism existed, then I wouldn't have become a journalist. And 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 so much of that is the same way in this. And and that's why you know when we see these kind of like fatalistic, you know, doom and gloom stories about like the fact that this is trying to erase trans people from existence. You know, this is a genocide of trans people. To a certain extent, that's where they come from. Is this idea that by cutting off these educational points by cutting off this knowledge to kids, these 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 um, inclusive policies, we're cutting off the ability for trans kids to become trans adults in in a lot of ways. And that is scary and terrifying. And and all of this stuff is not new. That's that's the big thing here, too, is we see these pol these policies are new. These policies attacking these things are new. But the fact that, you know, the New Brunswick policy was rolling back in an existing inclusive policy that was passed and had been worked towards by, you know, LGBTQ2 plus activists. And we've we've made so much progress in the last 10 years on queer and trans rights. It's that's why I think so much people so many people like me are so disappointed by these kind of policies and legislation, because it's just actively like taking 15 steps back from the five steps forward that we've made. Um, and so that's that's where it all comes from. Again, it's that idea that if you 
give kids the space to figure out who they are and give them the opportunities, then they'll figure it out and they will be happier and not depressed and not commit suicide and all those other things that those stats that we keep on pulling up about mm. this. Mel, did you say you graduated high school in 23, uh, in 2013? 2013, yeah. So was there, was there a GSA in your high school, like from 2009 or 2010? Not a very big or vocal one. I think there was a small like lunchtime group of a few people. Um, there was a few. I wasn't even openly queer when I was in high school. Um, there was a few. I could count on one hand the number of openly queer people uh, in my in my high school. And we did have a um, a, a queer teacher actually who I, I remember very formatively. Um, mm -hmm. Who she would uh, her her wife would come and you know pick her up from school every now and then and and just. That was one of my first exposures to queerness, frankly, was this. And she was so, you know, very, very vocal about it, I think, in her own. And, you know, re reflecting back on it, it was it's quite radical to be, you know, one of the only openly queer teachers in 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 that space. Uh, and I know that she's gone on to do a lot of um, important um, advocacy around that in the, in the district. Um, Have you ever reached really out to her? No, I haven't actually. I, I should. Frankly. Imagine I how imagine like how how much she would love to hear from you. I bet. Yeah, I don't know if she's still in the in in, in even working anymore. I haven't checked in in a few years um, mm -hmm. on on googling and, and and things like that. But but that's what I mean, you know. And these kinds of policies they make life harder for queer teachers. They make life, you know, suddenly you're going to have you know parents who have been stirred up with this concern from from people like Smith saying, you know, oh gosh, you talking about your wife in school is an education on gender ideology and sexuality and I have to have my kid opt into that. And that's, now we're talking about like the dark ages, <laughs> like that's some, some bad stuff. And that's where these policies go. That's like, like we, no matter how pleasantly they're presented on their face, that's what they lead towards. And that's, that, that sort of stuff scares me. Mm -hmm. Johnny, did you have, a, you went to high school in Ontario, right? Did, was it on I did, or, yeah. Yeah. Did you, mm -hmm. do you remember, was there a GSA at your high school? I don't think so. And I, yeah. I came from a small town. So and I, what year if would there you, was, I wasn't aware of it. did you graduate high school? Uh, 1990. I don't want to date myself. You have here. to. You have, you have to date yourself. 98. Yeah, I graduated 95. And, and, and Mel, I don't remember, although there may very well have been. I mean, like, I graduated high school in 95. That's like forever ago. But can you believe I graduated high school almost 30 years I'm ago? I'm just glad dude? your number's but anyway, longer than mine. Uh, but, but I do remember, you know, in our in our high school, I remember the same thing. It's it's oftentimes it's the teachers that make an impact and the, the teacher mm -hmm. that puts a pride flag up in the classroom or or the teacher that sort of, you know, puts themselves out there is like, and maybe they do know and maybe they don't know. Um, that they're they're signaling to certain students in that student population that walking into that classroom is walking into a safe space, um, and that's a big deal. But obviously, you don't. It's it, it's not intuitive, and empathetic, and intelligent, and responsible policy just to assume that every school is going to have that one teacher that's willing to put their neck out there or do something that goes above and beyond. Like I think that that more and more people are recognizing the importance of GSAs. Well, and, and also like this policy directly targets teachers doing that sort mm -hmm. of thing. You talk about the pronoun disclosure policies, you know, you have a kid who, again, whether they're exposed through media or through their friends or wherever, kind of come to terms and say, hey, maybe, maybe I feel this way. Maybe I want to try, well, see how it feels to use a different pronouns or a different name or go by a shortened version of my name or whatnot. Uh, and and maybe that teacher or a, a you know teaching assistant or you know peers of theirs are the space that they feel comfortable trying that out in before they kind of hard launch with their parents. This these pronoun policies 
directly forbid that, you know, and the teacher could face, you know, professional backlash for giving that space to those students. And that's, you know, a, a scary prospect because where are these kids going to, you know, trial run those things? You know, not every, every parent loves to think that they are going to be an inclusive safe space to their kids. And, and I, I talk about the well-meaning parents here too. You know, not, we're, you know, we have this like specter of a, of a transphobic, unaccepting parent out there. So often, you know, there are parents who, who think that they're doing a good job and are well-meaning, but their kid may still not be comfortable hard launching with them yet because they understand the kind of big step that that could be. Where are they going to, you know, try these things out, figure these things out for themselves, if not within their peer groups, within support of other adults in their life, and who could be teachers, guidance counselors, things like that. And so that's where these pronoun policies are, one of their biggest kind of issues is it, it just kind of erases the spaces where kids can, you know, work on those senses of their identity um, and, and, and forces them into their homes where, again, on the extreme case, you have, you know, kids who will not face accepting parents and will be you know, kicked out or, or abused or things like that. But you also even just have kind of the discomfort of maybe not being ready to take that step with your parents, but maybe wanting to make it in some spaces that are kind of safe and constructed for that. Mm. Um, so that's where these pronoun policies have become such a big issue. Uh, we're talking to Mel Woods in our live chat on YouTube. Jennifer says, as a trans person, watching literally everybody else debate whether I deserve to have rights or not uh, gets exhausting. It's ridiculous that we're still having this conversation in 2024. You write uh, in your February 1st piece at extramagazine.com that the announcement, quote, marks a particular heel turn for Premier Smith on trans issues. Uh, for people that may not have that on their radar, remind us what she said in 2022. Oh, well, to, to use that, I'm actually going to go back to 2012, 2013, whenever it was, uh, 2011, I think it was, the Gay Lake of Fire, right? So back when Smith was the Wild Rose leader, you know, and kind of had her political career torpedoed thanks to a candidate saying, you know, that gays would burn in a lake of fire or whatnot. Yeah, Alan Huntsberger yeah. is his name. Yes, yes, yes. A, a specter. And again, I was like in uh, university when that was happening uh, and very formative experience. Um, I, I, but uh, it's interesting watching her kind of when she, you know, had her big comeback or resurrected her political career. And also when she was trying to contrast herself from Kenny uh, and, and Kennyism and, and from, you know, even Brian Jean to a certain extent, you know, she said very firmly, you know, I'm not taking a, I'm not going to play political football with, with trans kids rights. You know, I'm not going to um, debate these issues. I think these are things that should be, you know, handled within families. I have a non-binary family member. She keeps on bringing this up. I, I truly, I, I think often about this mysterious non-binary family member of, of Daniel Smith's, you know, she, she even was mentioning them yesterday um, as, as a young person in her life who's transitioning, who she seems to be staking a lot of justification for these policies on. Um, and, and she said that she wouldn't do that. She said that she wouldn't play political football. Even when we go back to when the New Brunswick policies were rolling out, when the Saskatchewan policies were rolling out, and she was, you know, obviously getting asked about these things, there was like a sense of not committing one way or the other. But I think there is a reluctance to do it because it is a hard line in the sand of conservatism to to do and to do it to this extent. Um, obviously, her advisors, her party, her caucus decided, not even her whole caucus, it's interest. I'd be very curious to see how much support for these policies exists in the in the full caucus. But obviously her party and her, her policymakers at the convention in the fall said, we want this. She kind of realized that 
politically she has to do something like this and politically obviously she's decided to do the most extreme version of this um, that we've seen yet in Canada and it's all politics and that's why I write about in that piece is that you know these are once again coming from issues that aren't actually issues there isn't like some big you know province-wide call to to police puberty blockers no this, this is constructing an issue for the sake of politics um for the sake of appealing to that increasing further right base. And, you know, we see Paul Yuvert doing this at the federal level as well um, in kind of bringing up these sorts of policies and invoking them in the federal conservatives passing, you know, resolutions around pronoun policies in the fall at their convention when that's not even federal jurisdiction. Uh, it's because it's all trying to play to a very certain segment of the base. And whether that works or not is going to be really interesting to see, particularly with the state of politics in Alberta. You know, I, I part of me wonders if this is a, a the moment of introducing this legislation is not directly tied to what's happening with the Alberta NDP and their leadership currently, that it was kind of a the best time to slide something like this in. Um, but yeah, it, it, it marks a heel turn. It marks her going directly against everything that she said during the leadership race. She said, I won't play political football with these issues. And here she is doing it. And And I think we have to call that turn out for what it is. Yeah, uh, I think I think most people that are paying attention to Alberta politics know the source of it, know who it's intended to placate or, or keep happy. I think most people know why it's happening or at least have strong and probably informed suspicions as to why. Um, Mel, I want to I want to respect your time. And, uh, you know, this is kind of like a three headed monster. Like uh, There was uh, somebody here. Uh, our, our chat's just on fire right now. So I'm losing. I'm, I'm trying to set them aside so I can read them. But everybody's participating somewhat, which is a great problem to have. But somebody basically said this goes way beyond uh, parents. Here it is from Plain Power. It says the policy's gone far beyond pronouns in classrooms. It's so oppressive um it you, so you've got kind of like the three pillars of the policy announcement and then there's there's way more from there i mean talk about alberta establishing supports and recruiting you know physicians to do the surgeries and and if people want to hear a physician commenting on that look for our february 2nd episode with dr kate greenaway who's skeptical that any surgeon would want to move to alberta right now to do that work um but but there's a lot to it. But let's say the three are kind of parents and pronouns, sex ed and trans women participating in sport. That's kind of like the three pillars of the policy announcement. I, I don't know if you agree, but 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 I don't want to I don't want to ignore any of them. Um, if you have a take on sex ed, my take is pretty simple on this one. I think that the opt ed, uh, the opt in um, is is uh, a bizarre and curious decision. I think it's intended, quite frankly, to to throw hurdles and roadblocks in front of sex ed and make it more difficult uh, and to ensure uh, that, you know, the, the, the kids whose parents don't want them participating in this Marxist indoctrination. Uh, you can probably see my tongue planted in my cheek uh, that they don't mm -hmm. have to subject their kids to that. Um, and, th and then there's the trans women in sport thing, which to me, like that, that, I mean, yes, it's also trans rights, but but I think that that's a different issue for a lot of people. I think it's an issue where most people, including me, don't have a fulsome understanding of the evidence, but we know what we see. Uh, it may be a limited sample size, what we're seeing. And I think that people are kind of torn on that one. When you look at the general population, do you get the same sense? You know, I think to, to one point, I think it's also, a, you know, important pillar of this is the medical stuff. I think you, you mentioned parents, parents and pronouns, sex ed and the trans women in sports. Right. I mean, the, the puberty blockers and surgeries of aspect course. of this is huge and hugely precedent setting in Canada. Um, I think that, you know, it feels tacked on, frankly, 
every other aspect of these policies is around kids, around parental rights, around the rights of parents to make medical decisions for their kids, blah, blah, blah. And I, again, I can talk forever about how, you know, not based in fact or, or science a lot of those policies are, but the trans women in sports thing feels just like a an extra little jab in there to placate a very specific percentage of the population that has become hyper fixated on this issue in recent years. And the facts there, you know, we there's a long, there's actual medical scholars who have written lots about, you know, biological advantage and testosterone and all those things. And, you know, you pull up the example that everybody does. And I think it's a good example of saying like, well, Michael Phelps has a biological advantage and we don't police Michael Phelps from playing, you know, competing in swimming events. Uh, people's bodies are different. You know, there's a vast spectrum of bodies across genders, across, you know, hormone hormone bases across you know what puberties we went through you know you can you can line up a lot of different people and have a lot of different body types and so-called advantages in sports and that is not necessarily delineated by by trans people and there is not this groundswell of uh you know this this you know the right-wing media is particularly in the u.s love to hyperfixate on you know the one time a trans woman does okay in a tournament you know leah thomas the swimmer at the, in the college is a good example of that and you think about how many collegiate swimmers there are how many trans collegiate swimmers there are who have not had that success you know it is disproportionate reaction to these sorts of things coming from these bases and it's again it's about that manufacturing of concern it's it's, it's about saying like oh we should be worried about these trans women coming to, to to crush our little girl's dreams and it's like no at the end of the day it's about letting people play <laughs> like and this siphoning off of a of a gender inclusive division or whatnot there are you know valid debates issues you know there's there's been talk in, in like marathons about having gender inclusive and for me as a non-binary person that's exciting you know I, I would love a gender inclusive division that allows me to you know compete in a space that isn't aligned with my gender but there are trans women who want to be in women's divisions who are women <laughs> like that's the biggest thing here and it's 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 very frustrating the way that it feels tacked on to this legislation because it's so blatantly like an appeal to a certain sense of you know, to, for lack of a better term, trans-exclusionary radical feminist, you know, that, that word turf comes from this sense of, you know, policing and attacking trans women's bodies and trans women's ability to exist in women's spaces. And this is long predated Smith and these policies. Uh, it is an issue that we've seen in the UK. It is an issue we've seen in the US. And I say an issue, it is not an issue that trans women are competing in sports. It's an issue that has become this media fixation on trans women competing in sports. You know, you look at the at the Olympics um, recently, the, the trans weightlifter who ended up coming in like second last or something in her division. There was a giant spotlight on her. It's like, just let her go lift up lift weights. She's one of the best women in the world at lifting weights. Let her be one of the best women in the world lifting weights. Um, and so it's very, that one is very frustrating because yes, there's complicated medical stuff about that, but there's also complicated medical stuff about every person who competes in sports, you know, every quote unquote advantage that comes in sports, you know, you want to talk about advantage, talk about economic advantage. Like there's a lot of advantages in sports and what this Alberta policy, which it truly is just thrown off in like two lines at the end of this, this bigger video is basically trying to stop it all together all in service of that faux concern that's been constructed by a certain segment of um, particularly American and UK audiences. And again, a certain segment that has become hyper fixated on this issue when there is no issue there. Um, and this issue and this hyper fixation on this issue leads to like oppression of 
cis women too. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I cited earlier in our in our chat that that video that Smith brought up yesterday, you know, was trying to point to this video of a rugby player as an example of trans women having an advantage in sports. And the rugby player in the video that she's pointing at was actually a cis woman. That was like a piece of misinformation that went around right wing media a couple of weeks ago. And Smith didn't even know that. Like, and and like that's not even true. Uh, and it's all based in these kind of facts. And you look at the policing of, you know, women with elevated hormone levels, you know, cis women with elevated hormone levels. You talk about Castor Semenya in the Olympics. You talk about a lot of, you know, people like that, that these kinds of policies, these kinds of, you know, inspections and, and restrictions hurt and hurt their ability to play and hurt their ability to compete. And when we're talking about in Alberta, in, you know, regional sports divisions in Alberta, like to police and 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 keep an entire segment of the population out from being able to compete based on these kind of falsehoods this misinformation and this this constructed right-wing media narrative around this so-called advantage in sports and i'm sure there's so many people in the comments throwing me you know fox news articles about leah thomas right now but it it's not based in fact. Well, let me here. Here, I'll read you one. So there's one comment here says they say there's a yeah. trans woman in the UFC, trans woman winning the NCAA swimming championship, uh, trans woman winning boxing and weightlifting championships, uh, achieving world records. I don't I don't know. I haven't seen that story, but no, but no. I have like I will say I have there, there are stories out there like you see them like, you know, whether or not they're fact checked and real. And I can't believe that I'm just sort of throw, whether or not they're real, Mel, <laughs> like, that, that is pretty significant. <laughs> let me acknowledge exactly. that I'm, not, I'm not trying to be funny but but you do see like articles and and of course for people that have a i mean if there's one thing this is going to be kind of a weird comment but bear with me i promise my heart's in the right place if there's one good thing to come out of all of this over the past week in alberta it's that more and more people i hope uh you know maybe driven by you know interaction with this talk show or others that are doing that work um, talking to people whose lives are actually impacted here, people with lived experience, people having real conversations, more and more people are actually going to learn the facts. I think more and more people are actually right now seeking the facts. Like, you know, I'll be graphic here, so I don't suspect any children are listening right now, but earmuffs, kids, but like, are like little seven-year-old boys being counseled to have their penises cut off? Like, like are, like all these questions that you, you see it on, on Twitter and you're going, what the hell? That's obviously not happening, but it's out there and people are believing it. You know, people, a lot of people will believe outrageous things that they read on the Internet from from bad actors, I think, with accounts with huge followings. Um, and so I hope that more and more people right now are seeking out evidence and seeking the facts and ultimately understanding those issues better. Um, and I think that there is and I include myself in this camp, uh, a lack of actual understanding on the reality of trans women competing in sport. Like, I don't know. To, all I know is what I've seen. All I know is kind of what my gut tells me, you know. And uh, it, But I think that more and more people right now are actually going to be learning the facts, which ultimately is a good thing. 100%. And, and you know, there's great books out there on this. There's a great book called Testosterone, Unauthorized Biography, I think it's called. That's a great kind of piece of, you know, nonfiction medical reporting that looks into the history of testosterone in sports and, and things like that. And... I encourage folks to also be, you know, critical of your media diet too. And, and when you see, you know, oh, uh, you know, to talk to that comment of, you know, listing off UFC, NCAA, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's a good book. Um, you know, you, li you lift off all of those, those things and you think, okay, well, where are these coming from? Is this just isolated things that have been hyper fixated on? You know, 
talk about NCAA swimming, we're talking about one single swimmer here. One single swimmer. Leah Thomas is the person who has become this like fixation of a certain segment of of, of commentators online. And, you know, there's people who spun entire political, you know, careers over this. There's, there's a, there's a Fox news commentator who was a competitor who placed below Leah Thomas in a competition and has turned that into her career to talk about that and to, to try and, you know, hurt trans women from being in sports. And, and it's just, we see, I think one, a great example that shows kind of how fake so much of this is, is the, now the world chess federation is talking about like, banning trans women from competing in women's divisions of chess. I would love for somebody to explain to me what the biological advantage trans women have in chess is, because that argument starts to fall apart real quick. Why is there even a women's? Why is there? Why isn't chess just chess players against chess players? I don't know. Are you even chess? Know, are we qualified to talk? I'm not. I don't even know the difference I'm not a between expert, a pawn but... and a rook. Are those both exactly, chess pieces? I, I use that pawn? example so often because it's just like, Oh, it shows kind of how fake all this is. Like this outrage is not really outrage. Like, why are we banning trans women from competing in chess? And it goes all the way, you know, then you kind of draw that out. And then it's like, well, why are we banning trans women from competing in swimming? Like it it, it goes that far. So again, I'm not fully I, I would caveat this by saying, you know, I am not a full expert on these 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 issues, but I am somebody who's also read a lot about this, as much as the commentators, but read other things about this. And I just encourage folks to to look at your media diet with a bit of you know critical thinking and and look at what sorts of studies. When we talk about studies, you know everybody loves studies and surveys. Is it peer reviewed? What source is this coming from? What kind of other information is out there saying these things? And what sources is that coming from? You know, at the end of the day, so much of this issue is about media literacy. And to to, to rope it all back, if we just take what Smith was saying in her video last Wednesday at face value, what she was saying in that press conference on Thursday or in her meeting appearances yesterday, you're going to get a lot of misinformation and disinformation. You know, on the press conference on Thursday, she kept ragging on about irreversible changes, irreversible challenges, irreversible damages. You know, she also, I think at one point kind of said, you know, can our kids, you know, qualified to make decisions about, you know, if they want to have sex. And it was like, do you think that trans people can't have sex? Like, what are you saying here? Like, this is all grounded in pieces of of falsehoods, but they're not being called out for what they are when they're presented in that way. So I, that's my big thing to people is like, when you read these things online, when you see, you know, oh, I've, I've read lots about trans women competing in sports. What have you read? What's actually being said there? And what's actually, you know, true there what, what sources is it coming from is a huge thing to think about when we're talking about these issues, much as we do on other kind of quote unquote, hot button topics, you know, climate change is the one that I keep on using up, you know, when it's, it's saying like, this is an issue that yes, does have to go all the way back, mo both sides or, or sides to it, certain angles to it, but some angles are based in peer reviewed science research facts, long times, and some angles are based in political narratives that have been developed or or pushed for for certain reasoning. Um, and I think that that's when we look at these policies, particularly some of the medical policies that Smith is putting forward here, it's not like these are like experimental treatments that are like some new fangled thing that have been introduced and only, you know, the Alberta government can save us from these experimental things that are happening to kids. This is medical policy, medical procedure that's, you know, been developed over years and years and years. And, and people have fought for years and years and years to have be safe and accessible and accountable. You know, that's why these medical associations are speaking out so much about these policies right now is because they put in the work to make sure that what's being done is correct right now. And and 
the fact that you know a, a politician can come in and say no i think it should be a different way that's that's wild to me um we've been talking to mel woods if you're just joining us on the mixler live streaming audio app presented by california closets mel an editor with extra magazine you, you tweeted again yesterday and, and we'll wrap with this uh you said much love to other trans folks like florence ashley and, and faye johnson uh, and more speaking out and educating the media about what's happening in alberta you say it's emotionally draining work particularly with the pressure of being often the only trans voice in the room on these issues and I don't mean that to complain, you say. It's just that stopping or slowing down or logging off feels particularly difficult when the stakes are this high. When we're at this moment, we saw come and go, uh, the moment we saw come and go in the U.S. of passing a certain point of no return on the fight for trans rights, all to say, keep supporting and genuinely listening to those folks and other trans voices fighting the good fight right now. That's you, Mel, and we appreciate your availability. Uh, didn't think we'd keep you for an hour, but uh, obviously there's a lot to talk about. Uh, and when someone like you, uh, who has lived experience, who's working as a journalist, who's telling the stories and who has a remarkable ability to articulate it, uh, we sure appreciate it. Thank you for this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's I anytime. And, and again, I, I think that... I don't purport to be the singular voice on these sorts of issues, but what I really encourage folks to do is to, again, be critical of what media you're consuming around these things and and ask those questions and really stop and say, why are these policies coming forward? What is the reasoning behind them? And, and what can I do to educate myself further on these sorts of things, whether it is reading books or, or listening to doctors and medical experts on these medical issues, listening to the voices of trans kids. You know, we saw a lot of protesters out in Calgary and Edmonton over the weekend in Ottawa yesterday in, in places in the coming days and weeks and, and actually listen to them. I think, you know, at the end of the day, these, these, these kids, these affirming parents, they also know what's best for their kids. And I think the affirming parents and the supportive parents get so lost in the shuffle here of these kind of very small minority of, of parents who are hyper fixated on if their kid's going to change their name or pronouns at school. What about the parents who want their kid to be able to get ex inclusive sex ed? So, so that's what I encourage folks and leave folks with is to, to listen to a variety of voices. Florence, Faye, you know, lots of other folks are out there. It's great to see Hannah Hodson on your panel last week, you know, there's a certain small percentage of very visible trans folks in Canada, and we we understand the stakes at hand here. And and I will always speak out on on behalf of trans kids. You can follow Mel on Twitter at Into the Mel Woods. What a fantastic handle! And you can read their work at extramagazine.com. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. You got it. Uh, and thanks to everybody that's uh, been participating here in our live chat. Mm -hmm. uh, or most of you, anyway. Uh, I kid, I kid. Uh, <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw that comment from from Whiskey when we're, when we're going. Well, what changed with Danielle Smith? And you know, from 2022, she says she doesn't want to use trans kids as a political football, and then in 2024, mm. there it is. Um, and uh, I said, I think it's pretty obvious. And I saw uh, an audience member by the name of Whiskey, who I appreciate being here, saying, well, don't blame this, Ryan. Don't blame this on Take Back Alberta. Oh, and I saw I, that. And, well, I just about spit out my coffee <laughs> because if, if, if you're not, and, and like blame, blame is not the right word to use. Uh, David Parker in Take Back Alberta, and I hesitate to invoke his name uh, on this because I know he just Every loves time. it. He just loves it. Uh, but but you got to be kidding me if you don't think that this is to, to keep them happy. You got to be kidding me if you don't think that this has everything to yeah. do with them i mean I if you take they, a look at david parker's twitter account um i mean you know all it has been for the past uh, smith makes this announcement on january 31st they, they released the video in the afternoon of january 31st 
Uh, you can check out our February 1st episode uh, as, as we kind of go through the, the uh, video and make our first uh, observations on it, you know, sort of a, a layperson's view, kind of political analysis of the policy. And then, of course, on our February 2nd episode, our Real Talk Roundtable, which I hope everybody checks out. I mean, David Parker has, has been crowing about this, has been crowing and glowing about this, has been celebrating this and retweeting everything about it. You got to be kidding me <laughs> if you don't think that this is all about them uh whiskey so so bless you my friend uh yeah. but there's not there's absolutely not a chance i mean that's that's hilarious i think he was inferring that like the, the tba has no power they literally got rid of, of a premier already of course they so, have power i mean they can no like like you know, Kenny was kicked as out much like them. like like it or not take back alberta has influence on or controls literally Lots. every single member of the United Conservative Party's board. Mm -hmm. Every member. They voted. And them, how yeah. did they do that? They did that because they're working harder than anybody else right now because they understand ground game because they're they're doing more than anybody else is and quite frankly, you know, my progressive conservative friends uh from from basically the moment that Jim Prentice lost the election to Rachel Notley in 2015 kind of folded up their tents and went home. I, I, I got the sense, and I've had these conversations with many of them, and I'm talking former cabinet ministers, former premiers, uh, former constituency association presidents that felt that they had done their work and it was time for the next wave of the party to take over for the next wave of the progressive conservatives. And guess what? They didn't show up. They didn't show up. And so then you had basically the, the former kind of wild rosers, whether they were or were not officially affiliated with that more right wing, kind of more socially conservative political movement, which has always been around in Alberta, obviously. Um, and, and, and they basically took over the party. And Jason Kenney, uh, while he achieved the leadership of the progressive conservatives and merged it with the wild rose, everybody knows that they took over the progressive conservatives to basically make sure that that party went nowhere. And the United Conservative Party now, uh, like we said, and I won't say his name because I want him to keep handing me the brown envelopes of all the background information, and he's been a great source over the years, but but someone who is, you know, if there was a, a, a series of House of Cards of Alberta politics, this guy would be one of the main players. He once said to me that the United Conservative Party, under Jason Kenney at the time, mind you, was the party with all of the entitlement of the PCs and all the crazy of the Wild Rose. I mean, that's the combination of what it is. And so you have hundreds of thousands of so-called progressive conservatives in Alberta right now that are not participating in the United Conservative Party board. They're not participating in uh, the uh, constituency association levels. They're sure not participating in things like school boards. And there is the sense uh, on, on Take Back Alberta, David Parker said as much to us when he came on the show. He told us. He, he opened up his playbook. He said, we're coming for the school boards next because they sensed that opportunity because nobody else is serious about it and nobody else is putting in the work. So obviously they took it over because it was an easy takeover because every single time that a board seat became available or every single time that there was blood in the water and it can ask Leela here about this. I mean, there's a million examples. They pounced. And they've taken advantage of it. And you're now in a position where the governing party in Alberta is controlled by what you may see described as a fringe minority of people. They love it. They love it. They have like bumper stickers that say fringe minority. But they've got a lot of power. And you're fooling yourself if you think they don't. 
I mean, the premier on this show has said to me, I've asked her directly, you know, to what degree does David Parker control your decisions? To what degree is David Parker or Take Back Alberta or representatives of or affiliates of or those close to? You got to be careful. Politicians are smart and slippery. So you got to make sure all your bases are covered. But to what degree does that group have influence on this government? She says none. But it's obvious that it does because these are their top priorities. They talk about it and they celebrate when those things happen and when they become policy and when they become legislation. So I think that that's probably obvious to most people in the room, but maybe not all. Uh, we want to get to some of your emails here. Johnny's got an update for us on the on the five former World Junior Hockey players as well. They're lawyers uh, in front of a judge yesterday, not the players themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's coming up in 90 seconds or less. Really quickly, wanted to put on your radar that the Canada Greener Homes Grant is coming to a close. It's actually expiring. And our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are kind of sounding the alarm on this because there's like less than two weeks left. And, and if you're listening to this, Maybe in the next five days, you you got a very limited time to qualify for that grant. The best part about Kubi Renewable Energy is that they handle all the paperwork for you. So you're not going to have to go online and print out these big federal government forms and apply yourself. They'll do it for you to make sure that you can get solar up on your roof. You know, they've been installing uh, this week up until the snow fell because the weather's been so bizarre. They've had their teams out putting solar panels up on people's roofs in January. Didn't see that one coming. But they want to make sure that when all that snow's melting in April, that they're up on your roof and that you've made as much of an advantage as you can uh, in your position on paying for it or having it subsidized, right? Why not pay less to then pay less and less and less for your energy with solar panels from Kubi Energy at kubienergy.ca. Apex Automation is hiring one of Canada's fastest growing automation firms, and they're putting out the call to talented, skilled engineers in Alberta, BC, and Saskatchewan. If you're interested in working in or you have experience working in uh, chemical manufacturing plants, potash mining, robotics, natural gas processing, pipelines, upstream oil extraction, they can barely keep up. They've got so much opportunity for Canada's best engineers, and they would love for you to be part of their team. Learn more by checking out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. They're building a culture there where people like you can do your best work. If you're ready to grow your career, challenge yourself, and learn new skills, you'll be a fit at Apex Automation. And a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. You know, we tell you because we're really proud of it. They're the ones that built this studio and did an unbelievable job problem solving. So I, in good conscience, can give them two thumbs up to anybody that's looking to have disaster restoration work done. For a lot of people that may be flood damage that you're still dealing with, burst pipes a few weeks ago, check this out on their website at completecarerestoration.ca. They've got an entire page dedicated to water damage restoration. Rapid response, lasting solutions. This is not the type of thing that you want to wait on. Visit completecarerestoration.ca today. So we got a couple of, well, we've got, I mean, a ton of emails here, but I want to read a few of them, Johnny, before we get to your update on on the hockey front. But uh, this one from Heather uh, really made an impression on us yesterday afternoon. She said, uh, real talk, first of all, thanks for all the respectful, healthy, mature discourse. 
on this topic of the Alberta government's new policies. I certainly appreciate the show for all the real talk. I learn a ton and I challenge my own thoughts on the regular as a result of the show. Heather, that is the best kind of feedback. Uh, She says, not that you've uh, discussed it in any depth yet, but you keep suggesting that perhaps one of the least controversial parts of the policy is the participation of transgender women in sport. Heather says, I have changed my mind on this topic, so I thought I'd share my thoughts. Love it, Heather. She says, at the competitive levels of sport, there is a valid argument to fairness, and I think that this is something that the governing bodies of sport are wrestling with and establishing policies to ensure that fairness. Much like doping, this is something that each sport or athletic association needs to regulate as it relates to their sport. And as I understand it, bodies like the the, the UCI, that's the Union of Cyclists, uh, certain aquatics associations, they've established policies on gender inclusion. This seems reasonable to me, says Heather, given they're experts in their sport. Uh, Maybe what's appropriate in swimming is not appropriate or is important in archery, as an example, Uh, or chess, how about that? From time to time, I even see gender inclusion policies in the local road races that I participate in. Heather says a blanket provincial policy seems redundant at best, but it really kind of feels like just another way to exclude and target transgender people. I would suggest that most folks, including kids, play sports to participate, not to compete. Uh, Shouldn't we err on the side of inclusion over fairness? That's a big question, isn't it? She says, does it really matter if there's a transgender kid on a seven-year-old's rec soccer team? I mean, as long as that kid feels included and welcome, I would suggest we're winning. I mean, didn't Malcolm Gladwell identify that kids born earlier in the year uh, were more likely to make up rosters of junior hockey teams? That is fascinating, and it is true. Uh, She says uh, this was an advantage due to their physical development. The fairness of one's birth month doesn't seem to be the target of government policy. There's a balance of fairness and inclusion, to be sure, but in most circumstances, is it seems to me we all need to err on the side of inclusion in all aspects of our society for a little more tolerance. That from Heather. Sure, appreciate that. Good email. Uh, yeah, wasn't that good? It is. And just so you know, like the, the athletic and Olympic standards for you know competing as a trans athlete, they haven't changed. For women, it's pretty much you, you can't possess physical, so bone structure, muscle mass, testosterone, hormonal, or physiological advantages. Because I saw a lot of comments today that were like, oh, all you have to do is, you know, you know, get a surgery and I could be the best rugby player. It's not that easy right. at all. Yeah. The, the Castor Semenya case is very interesting. Um, I think most people know about that one. But Castor Semenya, to, to note as well, is it does not identify as trans. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's called intersex, and it's an interesting one. But it is relevant to the conversation to a certain degree. Marianne writes, in. Uh, parental rights is the subject line says well right parental rights should exist and and definitely probably we could use some clarification but seriously uh, this policy strikes me as very short-sighted as to what rights parents should have like it targets gender and sexuality which are not what the majority of parents struggle with with their kids Uh, yeah I'm sure that there are students and parents that deal with it but there are many more problems that parents could use help with that aren't even touched on here Uh, Marianne says I've been teaching for 33 years over the past eight years I've dealt closely with parents and administrators while students are presenting challenging behaviors, drug use, social media addiction, risky behavior behind the wheel, restricting phone use. I mean, just to name a few. She says this policy does not help parents navigate those murky worlds. When a 14 or 15 year old tells their parents to get stuffed when they want to look at their cell phone history, even though they pay for it, right? They may have true fears of what their kid is up to on their device, but they feel helpless. What about parents who have a 16 year old kid who has uh, their driver's license and is texting and driving, but never gotten caught uh, but the parent knows it and is doing everything they can to prevent it can the parents suspend their license not to my knowledge says marianne uh, says there are so many issues that are contentious when it comes to adolescents and their parents no doubt 
I was a parent of a headstrong, independent teen. It was hard. But as a parental rights policy goes, this would only have supported me as a parent of the daughter of an LGBTQ2S plus person. This narrowly focused policy does nothing to help parents with the wide span of issues that arise. So let's call it what it is, a trans policy. A pig is a pig is a pig, even if you put lipstick on it. Trying to convince the people of Alberta that this is a policy that will uphold parental rights is bullshit, says Marianne. This is a policy that takes rights away from children and parents navigating murkiness. So thanks for nothing. Marianne says, I just loved your roundtable on February 2nd. I look forward to the day we can look back at this dark policy and shake our heads in disbelief that it was even uttered out loud. And that day will come because society evolves. Unfortunately, we wonder how many youth will be harmed until that evolution is complete. Marianne signs off. Take it easy and keep it real. We promise we will. This one from Lisa, who says, uh, Jespo, Johnny, the best piece of advice I ever received as a parent was to not sweat the small stuff. And most things are just small stuff. Kids want to experiment with pronouns, names, clothing, hair color, small stuff. If my kid wanted to make these changes permanent, then we'd have to move past the small stuff and work with healthcare professionals to see what next steps would be and when. And I hear that all these supports are currently in place to make those decisions. I also know it would be easier to talk to a trusted person outside the home about this to start with rather than your parents. Uh, and by the way, I saw that uh, note. Uh, someone in our live chat said, we love our kids. Uh, it would have been very difficult uh, for us to hear about our child's uh, sexual or gender identity coming out from a teacher, yeah. which I thought was an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa goes on and says, in terms of, of the requirement to opt in for sex ed, what a step backward. It makes no sense. Uh, it's so much easier to opt out than in. I think that's the point. Uh, she says, and, and, and I'm not sure why there's no talk of transitioning from female to male in this whole discussion of sports. Uh, discrimination of the trans community should be inclusive that from lisa which is kind of a funny sign off and then this one from dave Uh, dave's looking to light a fire i love it Uh, his subject line finally real leadership in this province dave says i was delighted uh, to hear our premier's words yesterday affirming that her government is finally taking a stand against the barbaric cultural practice of infant genital mutilation in this province uh, preserving the right of the child to make decisions about the sexual health of their body as adults indeed it takes real steadfast leadership to not even make mention of a religious exemption to allow this barbaric practice to continue circumcision must never be forced on a child or young adult this is a decision best left to them once they turn 18 that from dave i like what it's you a did whole there other discussion <laughs> we dave, get into you there. can send us uh an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com 24 hours a day seven days a week and we sure appreciate it and keep in mind if your email's got a little more punch power uh <laughs> it may be a great fit for our friday tradition that's the flamethrower presented by the dqs of northwest edmonton and sherwood park it's how we wrap up every Friday episode and you can catch it as a special edition podcast on Saturdays. So a development, uh, we're talking to you uh, here today uh, on February the 6th, uh, February 5th, Monday was the first day that legal representatives, the lawyers uh, for the five hockey players charged by London police in the alleged sexual assault of a woman following uh, a celebratory event, recognizing the achievements of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Players uh, Mm -hmm. underway, the lawyers appearing in front of a judge, but a pretty remarkable development, Johnny, uh, from London's chief of police. Yeah, so yesterday he gets on the news, and this is kind of, I don't think I've ever seen this happen ever, where a police chief directly speaks to an alleged victim of sexual assault on the news, but uh, here's what he had to say. I want to extend on behalf 
of the London Police Service. My sincerest apology to the victim, to her family, for the amount of time that it has taken to reach this point. As a police officer working in this space for many, many years, I can tell you that this is a difficult, difficult situation for all victims and survivors of sexual violence. That was London, Ontario Police Chief Tai Truong mm-hmm. uh, apologizing for a six-year window, a six-year yeah. delay in uh, laying charges. Keep in mind as well, which I think is important to note, is that London Police had actually closed this investigation. Yeah. And uh, when the complainant here uh, filed a civil suit, which was settled quietly by Hockey Canada for about $3.5 million, mm-hmm. uh, it put it back on the radar, thank yeah. you to the excellent investigative reporting of several journalists in Canada. That prompted London police to reopen the investigation. They yeah. didn't do it on their own. A lot of comments you see under all these stories is like, why is she coming back with this? She already got money. She didn't do this. The police saw that they made an error yeah. and thought that people were getting away with crimes and reopened it. But pretty unprecedented for a police chief to go on the news and directly talk to to a victim it struck me as pretty crazy yeah i mean i i'll say i appreciate him wearing it i appreciate him doing it yeah uh you you wonder how many other people that have experienced a nightmare like this are like where's my watching that going where's my apology (laughs) but we were talking about this yesterday it's also like this isn't over like how long is the case itself and then whatever happens restitution sentencing or whatever i mean this could be six seven eight we, it could be a decade before this whole thing is over. So, uh, I mean, good on him for owning it. But at the same time, it, it does not look good for the London police. Yeah. Uh, this from uh, Tweety 63 in our live chat. who says six years is a really long time. I'm glad he apologized. Um, so, something else, an, an angle on this, which probably isn't the most important angle. Doesn't have anything to do with the trial. Uh, I guess in a way it does. But uh, this, this trial, the date has been moved uh kick down the road it's going to take longer than was initially expected mm-hmm. um and and the national hockey league uh, has, has spurred some conversation here when it comes to and and forgive us for going here but it's kind of an interesting one uh the salary cap and whether or not these players salaries are going to count against the cap and yeah. the reason why it's particularly caught our interest uh, is because it sounds like a bit of a double standard here it when does. players are criminally charged versus when players take leave for other reasons. Yeah, so a few teams, I think the Flyers, the Flames, and another one are all going to get you know some sort of restitution or some kind of you know help with the cap space from this. But we were talking about this this morning. So if you take a mental health leave, you know you can't put that person on the injury list. You can't. You don't get any restitution there. You don't get any cap space saving. But if they're charged with sexual assault, you do it. And that does not look good. Another thing we were talking about this morning is how all, all almost all of these players, except for the one who's playing in Europe, were all signed after these allegations came out. They all signed contracts or extended contracts after these musings were already in the air. We talked about how GMs are all knowing and, and scouting teams are all knowing like nobody gets signed. They, they know about everything you've done in your past. These days they go through your social media. They, you know, the checks are endless. So for them to have signed these players and then very, very strange. They're also all RFAs 
their contracts restricted all, free agents. You know, yeah. their co- contracts all run out. It, it's very, and I mean, is that just lawyers and 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 like snub nose? Like, is that just the way things are? They just knew that maybe this would come out. Let's cover our bases, or is it the league covering up? Indecency, right? Every, everybody in Calgary seems to be sticking with the story that the Flames did not know about Dylan Dubay's oh, situation, which they is just everything. so hard to believe. They know everything. It's so hard to believe. They know if you what, jaywalked in high school when they sign you these days. Like, they know Well, they everything. know more now than they used to, yeah. I, I think, because they've had to, uh, and they've had to get to that point. But I find it very hard to believe that none of the teams would have known. It's, it's widely uh, accepted, almost as fact. I don't think that anyone's ever heard an Ottawa Senator's general manager manager or ownership go on the record and say that the reason that they held the rights to Alex Formanton but had not signed him the whole reason why this top prospect was playing over in the Swiss league was because they were waiting for these charges to drop or because they knew that he was implicated in this but that seems to be widely accepted but why just Alex Formanton right why not the others so so these are questions maybe we'll we'll see more light Sean on this as this trial uh folds out and as as people learn a little bit more about it but that's the update at this point. Wanted to touch on on one other story that people probably saw yesterday. It's uh, under the Municipal Governance Act, of course. Uh, Albertans and you know people living in our province, our home province, do have uh, the right to to fight to essentially uh, invoke like recall legislation and to try to have a politician recalled. And that is the case. Uh, that is happening. Uh, down in Calgary as a group of people. Uh, we believe that it's led uh, by Craig Chandler, uh, or at least he's involved in this, longtime conservative operative. Um, I've, seen, I've seen other names mentioned here, but I have inquiries in with them right now. I'm trying to confirm it because I want to get them on the record. I want them on this show. I want us all to ask them exactly why they're doing it. And of course, we want to talk to Mayor Gondek about this as well. But here's how it works. Uh, based on the numbers, they've got to get, if you want to recall a politician in Alberta, uh, they have to have served a certain amount of time in office, mm-hmm. and then you've got to get signatures to represent 40% of the population of that jurisdiction. So in Calgary, uh, with Calgary's population, that means that this group now has 60 days starting yesterday, so 60 days starting February 5th, mm-hmm. to collect a- approximately 515,000 signatures. <laughs> That is uh, about a hundred, approximately 150,000 more than voted in yeah. the last election. So you'd have to get everybody that voted in the last election, including people that voted for Gondek, all to sign. It can't be online. It's not it digital. Can't. No, it's pen to paper. Door to door? Well, set up at shopping malls, go door to door, go to Calgary Flames so games. So it's impossible. Whatever they're going to do. I mean, nothing's impossible, but it is very unlikely that they'd be able to collect 515,000 signatures in 59 days. Super unlikely. But I thought if it was online, there's always, you know, you can never know. You could fudge the numbers. You could get a bunch of people to sign. Like- well, it would have to be, obviously, if you know, people ultimately want to get to a point where you can you know, have digital Vote. voting machines yeah. and things like that. They would have to be, obviously, when you're talking about you know, reversing the results of an election, uh, it would have to have as much credibility, as much bulletproof nature to it than the election itself. So it's not going to happen. They're just Obviously, doing it to smudge it. Uh, I tweeted yesterday, I said, uh, I said, Mayor Gondek, I'm sure is sleeping just fine right now. But it is of interest. It's an mm-hmm. interesting story uh, that we'll keep an eye on. The, the attempted recall of Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek. You can let us know what you think about that. Before we sign off for the day, I wanted to let you know if you don't have plans, coming up on Sunday, we're talking about February 11th. Of course, that's Super Bowl Sunday. And if you live 
in Edmonton or if you're living anywhere near Edmonton, I'd love for you to join us at the Cabin Pub and Party on Jasper Avenue. I'm going to be hosting their Super Bowl party. We're going to have an absolutely fantastic time. It's their annual Cabin Bowl, the big game party. 30 bucks uh, your ticket. you got to get it in advance because it will sell out just like it did last year. Uh, your $30 ticket includes an all-you-can-eat tailgate buffet, fantastic food guaranteed seating so you know you're not going to be up against the wall getting your toes stepped on you get a commemorative team t-shirt i mean that's worth 30 bucks alone plus you get a prepaid pint of moosehead and you're entered to win all prizes we give away prizes at the end of every quarter of the super bowl uh including a one thousand dollar cash prize that's it it. i'm going you don't even have to wait for it i'll see you there it's literally it's like it's like 10 Brown bills in an envelope. I'm They're in. just going to hand somebody a thousand bucks for showing up. Are you going to come see it? I'm going to go. Go Taylor's party? boyfriend. All right, there you go. Go <laughs> Taylor's boyfriend. <laughs> Johnny and I made our Super Bowl picks with Charles Adler yesterday, if you wanted to catch that. So you can get your tickets at thecabinyeg.com, and I hope to see you on Super Bowl Sunday. We've got big shows coming up uh, the rest of this week, uh, including tomorrow. She's going to be. Joining us in studio after becoming the first of the NDP MLAs, a former cabinet minister, to announce her candidacy for the leadership of the party. She's making the trip up from Calgary. We're going to sit down with former Justice Minister Kathleen Ganley. If you have a specific focused question you'd like her to answer, you know where to find us. In the meantime, tell your friends. And thanks for watching Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.